This week I was at uh, my kids' um, holiday you know, Christmas concert they put on every year at their school. And Carol and I were noticing that there's always in this kids' choir, it was a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, so it was pretty, pretty many kids up there, probably, I don't know, 50, 60 kids. But there's always one or two kids in that process who uh, apply Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I mean, they're, they're, they're just a little bit off, but, but they also like to sing really loud. The joy of the Lord is just squishing through them, and they sing really loud. And so uh, I encourage you, sing really loud. Who cares? I think to God it's just glorious what you hear. One of the songs they sang, we sang was, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, we are doing a series right now just for Christmas called Joy to the World. But uh, it's looking at that particular Christmas carol. But when this one was up on the screen as we were all singing as a, as a group at this concert, I just thought, oh man, this Christmas, don't miss the awesome theology that is in the Christmas carols. Let me read, let me read this thing. This, I know there was no way you could really think about the music the first time we just played it a few minutes ago. No offense to the band, that was great, but that was rocking. So just listen to the, the line. Hark the herald angels sing. And here's what they sing. They sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth. And mercy mild, and here's why. God and sinners reconciled. That is money. Now, I thought about that, and I thought, how do you, how do you make that work? It's because you have to make, uh, like any poetry, they say, peace on earth, I get that, and then mercy mild. Doesn't, I thought about that. What, what does that mean? I don't think it means anything, and then I need to rhyme with reconciled, right? Could have said mercy wild. Anyway, maybe there is a purpose, I don't know. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Something about poetry puts the verb in the wrong place, but that is just too cool, right? Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of a, of a virgin's womb. womb. <laughs> now listen to this line. Listen to this line. If I could write just these... What is it? Six, no, six, seven, eight, nine, ten words in my lifetime I'd be, I'd be fulfilled. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I've sung that for 30 years, 40 years. I don't, I've never even figured out what that means until just a few minutes ago, actually. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not a question mark there, but... God in the flesh, hail, and then he says it again a different way, hail the incarnate deity, God in the flesh. Oh man, this thing's money. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So there's great theology about who Jesus is, when he came. Then it says this, hail the heaven-born prince of peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, 
Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born, here's the reason, that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We should just take another offering. That was awesome. That is it. If you just meditate on the three verses of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you get Christmas. If you just sing it without thinking through the lyrics, you just get Mall of America. No offense to Mall of America. I love the Mall of the Universe. But it's not what Christmas is about. This is what Christmas is about. This is why you want to have a party and give all your friends gifts, and it's a great tradition. I love it. But, but it's about that. We're in a series, like I said, a series called Joy to the World, and uh, last week we talked about the first verse of Joy to the World. Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. We talked about why is Christmas so special, because when they said this first verse, the Lord has come, it was to a nation, Israel, that was, was waiting and waiting and waiting, 750 years without being a nation. They had seen God discipline them for their, for their behavior and now they were coming back and they were waiting for something and these promises that were promised to them in the Old Testament that there was a, a day coming, that there was a person coming and that there was going to be a new way of relating with God coming. And if you were around at that, right at the time of Jesus, that would have been the fervor, that would have been the feel you were waiting for something to happen. It was fertile ground for this thing. The Lord is come. And then we ask the question, will you, will you prepare him room this Christmas time? Will you prepare him room? Will you take this Advent season to prepare him room? This, this week we want to look at the second verse of the second verse of joy to the world, which says, The joy to the world, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Now, last week I gave you a very brief introduction to the author of Joy to the World. His name was Isaac Watts. He was an English Puritan. An English Puritan was a precursor to the Puritans here. They were the ones that were being persecuted in England, and so they ended up coming to the United States, or that time, I guess, the, the colonies, as they call them. And, and he was one of the precursors. He was called an English Puritan, and it was very hazardous to your health, or at, at least it wasn't a popular thing to be. Sometimes you were imprisoned and in England if you went against the Anglican church at the time, and it just wasn't a popular thing to be doing. And so he was a guy who lived from 1647 to 1748. He wrote 600 hymns in his lifetime. Now, when he wrote this hymn, Isaac Watts did not have an easy life. I already told you he was a, he was a Puritan, English Puritan, and so he was, he was uh, in trouble from people around him. His father was imprisoned twice for his views about Christ by the time uh, Watts had reached 15. At 15, he contracted smallpox that would affect him the rest of his life. He almost died, but he was left feeble and frail from it. He tried to pursue a career as a pastor, but he actually was rejected from Oxford because of his religious beliefs. And the damage done to his nervous system because of the smallpox was just too much for him to carry on that kind of lifestyle. Also in this time, uh, he, had a, uh, he loved poetry. He loved to write poetry. And he loved to think of ways to create poetry to music 
But at that time, uh, uh, it would have been a very radical thing to do even a hymn. A hymn would have been a very radical thing. Um, and some of you are maybe you know, come from more of a traditional background and think, whoa, that was loud just a few minutes ago. Well, take that times 10, which would have been like if, if Isaac Watts would have done some of the things he was trying to do right when he was trying to do it. And so he would go to church and he would say, man, that was really boring. Those were horrible songs. So his father challenged him to write something better, and he did. And in that evening service, they sang one of his first ever hymns. Isaac Watts was an amazing author, and he was an amazing hymn writer. In fact, there's a story about him, about a woman who fell in love with Isaac Watts. His, her name was Elizabeth Singer. She so fell in love with him, just from reading his, his uh, writings and his, reading his hymns, that she actually sent him a letter in a reverse proposal, asking if he would marry her. So he thought, well, that's pretty cool. So... So they meet. Now, Isaac Watts was not a good-looking guy. So much so that, that when Elizabeth saw him, she asked for the letter back. And she said this about, she said this about Isaac Watts. This is a quote. She said, he's only five foot tall, with a shallow face, hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and death-like color. <laughs> Have you been on a blind date? <laughs> that doesn't work. Okay, that, that's not where you go for Mary Kay stuff. Death-like color, unless you're into the, you know, the death thing. Uh, that's not gonna, it's not gonna work. And then she said this line. She said, I admired the jewel, but not the casket. The casket was, don't think of it like we think of casket. It's what a jewel was held in. I admired the jewel, who he was, but I couldn't take the casket. They remained friends the rest of Isaac Watts' life. So he had a, he had a lot to be bummed about. All this stuff going on in life. <laughs> he got in the wrong line when they were handing out looks. And a woman rejects him. So he's bumming. And yet, what does he write? He writes a song about joy. He writes a song about joy, joy to the world. Because he knew that Christmas, and especially the incarnation, Christ becoming, coming from the second person of the Trinity and becoming man, was something way more than circumstantial. It's not something that, oh, my circumstances are good, therefore I feel happy. Or giddy. Now don't get me wrong. I like happy and giddy. But that's not joy. Joy is when everything's going wrong. There's something deep within you that says, I'm going to make it. There's something that gives me strength. And that's what he's writing about. Because his circumstances were like that. Second, second uh, verse this week we want to look at is, Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. He is in complete control of all things. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. The more I think about this, the more I'm convinced that joy is locked up with how much you believe that God is sovereign over all things. I really do believe that. If you're at a position where you think God's either out of control 
or he's not to be trusted because he might not have your best at stake, then how can you be joyful? Joy, having real joy, is linked with saying there's a sovereign God who's in control of everything. Whatever your view of God is this morning, it is too small. It is too small. I was at uh, FCA this week. Um, I, 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 they, they've been doing a series there on uh, um, theology. They, I come in once a month and give them some bad theology, and then they at least know what to compare it to. <laughs> that was a joke. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, yeah. <laughs> anyway... Uh, once a month I've been going over to FCA and, and, and they've been asking me questions and then I, I write something up and give a talk about it and, and, and finally, you know, the mother of all questions. We want to talk about predestination. Well, I said it's not predestined that you talk about predestination. <laughs> it was predestined that we talk about predestination. So that's what we talked about. And I watched uh, 50, 60 uh, athletes, athletes, scholars, as I like, they're, they're, they're not, nothing, you know, they're, they're intelligent, nothing, don't, don't tease our, our, uh, our, our jocks there at the U. There is, but this is tough stuff, understanding how God can be that sovereign over all things. But I'm convinced that he is. He is sovereign over all things. I also believe that we have real choices. I know, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. <laughs> but I do. You have to. If you're a student of the Bible, you believe that. Okay. That's totally not what I'm talking about. Um, the Savior reigns. The Savior reigns. I don't care whether you acknowledge it or not. The Savior reigns. I don't care if our, if our government acknowledges that or not. The Savior reigns. And joy is completely linked to your view of how much he reigns. Now, as cool as that is, that's not the main thing I want to talk about this morning. The main thing I want to talk about, and that has been buzzing through my head all week, is this second line. Let men their songs employ. Now, don't get caught up in the men thing, because that's just the people. But it's too many syllables to put people in there. So they, I, I don't know. We need a good gender neutral it doesn't work. Let it their songs employ. I don't know. We need one. But don't, don't, get, don't let that. Just let that go. That's old English, so give them a break. Let men their songs employ. Employ your songs. Write a paycheck to your heart to, and then he goes on to explain it, the fields and the floods and the rocks and the hills and the plains are repeating the sounding joy. Let your Write a paycheck to your songs so that they can scream out joy. And it's a command. It's a command to do it, right? Because let this happen. So do it. Isn't that a cool thought? I've been thinking about that all week. Let men their songs employ. Do you work hard at rejoicing? Isn't that kind of strange? Do you work hard at rejoicing? As I've been thinking about, there's been a phrase that's gone through my head. It's from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book where they're rebuilding the, the, the wall. And it's been trashed. And it's, a, it's a, around the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah 8, um, I'm not going to read all this. 
But uh, Nehemiah 8 talks about what's happening. They've been reading the, reading the Old Testament all day. And these people are weeping because of it. And he says to them in the later part of verse 9, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Translation, partay. <laughs> and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The dorms. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve. And then here's this phrase. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that a cool phrase? The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's something within you that is so jazzed about God that it gives you strength to overcome. That is cool. That is cool. I want that more in my life. As I thought about the place in the Bible where Joy comes up more than anywhere else. It is the book of Philippians. If you got a Bible, you got to grab a Bible. It's right in front of you there. Um, if you can share one. You got to go to the book of Philippians here um, because I don't have time to put these all on slides. I want to take you through a buggy ride in the book of Philippians. The Philippians is basically a Paul is writing a thank you letter to the people of uh, Philippi for their gift to him. But... Um, Gosh, Paul's circumstances stink. He's in prison right now for, for being a, a, a preacher of the gospel. He's, we're not sure exactly where he was. We think it's around 60 AD. So he's been doing this for a while and now he's in prison. And yet he writes a letter that in four short chapters, chapters highlights the word glad or rejoice uh, like 15 times. Let me just read a few of them to you to get you kind of a glimpse, a buggy ride through this book. First look in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember, he's in prison. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray, and he just throws his phrase in, with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, be, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the completion carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here's a guy who's in prison, and his heart is full. Skip down to verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. That's radical. Here's a guy who gets thrown in prison for being a follower of Jesus. And he says, you know what? This is awesome. I get to preach to the prison guards now. <laughs> you see this? Okay. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Skip down to uh, the middle of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And that I will continue with all of you, continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that my being with you again, excuse me, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Joy is not a little thing here. This is what Paul's main thing is. He's saying, that's why I want to be around you, is to make you joyful. Skip over to uh, chapter 3. We're going to spend a little time in chapter 3. That's, I think, the heartbeat of joy in this thing. Go to chapter 4, verse 14. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Skip down to verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that, you, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Joy is a major, major part of the ministry of Paul. Well, we're in the book of Acts, not to merge these two series, but, but Paul is going to be our major guy throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And his, one of his major things is, are you living in the joy of the Lord? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Are you employing your songs? Now, I think, how do you do that? I think Paul outlines it in chapter 3. If you want to flip back one, one page, I suppose, to chapter 3. I want to look at the first 11 verses kind of with you and just unpack real quickly four things about how do you get the joy of the Lord to be your strength. First thing, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I just want you to just look at the, that verse. The command is to rejoice. But the object of your joy is the most important thing. The command is not to just be joyful. That's not the command. The command is to be joyful in the Lord. That's huge. Because it's not just about being happy. Be happy. No, it's about being happy in Jesus. And then the interesting thing here to look at too is he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you. In other words, he, he's telling him, I want you to do this. This is so important, I want you to know I'm saying. He's going to say it in 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. It's the most important thing in the letter. It says it multiple times. It's a command. It's a command to make your songs be employed. And then he says it's a safeguard to you. There's a danger in not doing this. We're going to come back to this one later. Second thing. Pick it up in verse 2. 
It says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. We're going to come back to this at the end. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I, may, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, that means all the rules of the Old Testament, I was faultless. Find one that I broke. Now, I'm going to say this one and just, just listen, hear me out. Second thing about joy is joy is stolen. Joy is stolen when you become religious. Do not be like religious people. And you're sitting there thinking, aren't we sitting in a church? That's a weird thing to say. Joy is stolen when you become religious. Now, what I want, let me define religion. What I mean by religion is it's a system, it's a way of living that you order your life, it's a discipline where you follow certain rules, certain structures, you do certain things, and that's what makes you something. So if you do this, 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 and this, you're a Christian. Do this, 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 you're a Hindu. If you do that, you'll be robbed of joy. If you say, if, just say, for instance, what I do, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I talk to others about Jesus. That's what makes me a Christian. If you do that, you will be robbed of joy. You can see all this stuff that Paul lists. Good stuff. Good stuff. All in the, the Jewish culture. But what he's saying is, if I trust in that stuff to be okay with God, if I trust in all these different things that I have done, and it's about me, and what I'm doing, or not doing, then it becomes in myself, and I'm only going to be as joyful as good as I'm doing. Oh, I missed my quiet time today. My whole life is bad. I, I didn't have a devotional life today. Don't, don't read your Bible. It's a good thing. But don't do it to be something acceptable to God. You're going to get robbed of joy. Paul is warning you about that. Don't do that. Third thing. Verse 7. Actually, there's two parts to number 3. Let me read it and then I'll give it. It says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Anybody got a King James Bible open? Nobody? Oh, bummer. Look up that verse in the King James. Actually, that, 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 that word, the word rubbish there is, in Greek, is the word skubala. And if you knew Greek, I just swore at you. So, yeah, I consider them, hmm, that I may gain Christ. King James says, dung. So now you know what swear word I was shooting for. Um, <clears throat> I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain 
to the resurrection from the dead. Here's, the, here's how you get true joy is found when you do two things. First thing, get outside of yourself. Get outside of yourself. I have a good friend, you know him, Pat Conkey. He's got this great blog. I'm into blog reading now. Because uh, 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 I got one, and so I got to figure out who's I can cut and paste and put in mine and put my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> and Pat's is one of my favorites. Frogtownpastor.com. He's got this great thing about I, 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 me, me, me. And then he says, and I just, I just talk about me. I think about me. If, once I get outside of myself, then I can look at God. If you're stuck on yourself, you'll, you'll be robbed of joy. True joy is found when you get outside of yourself. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. So it's not because I did this, 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 and this, and this, and this, I'm okay with you, God. No. Do all that stuff. It's good stuff, but put it over here. It's only because of the little baby born in a manger who grew up to be a man and to teach us who would go and die a pauper's death on a cross and be raised on the third day. That's the only reason you can have any hope. It's not because you do stuff. It's because Jesus Christ died to save your neck. If you put stock in anything else, this is what makes me okay. Oh, I'm really good at this, or I'm really good at that, or isn't that person a really good speaker, or isn't that person a really good teacher, or isn't that person really good at accounting? doesn't matter. It's good stuff, but don't get your okayness from that. Get your okayness from Christ. That's the second thing, is become satisfied in Jesus and Him alone. If you let other stuff satisfy you, you're getting ripped off. You're not getting true joy. Paul says he doesn't want unrighteousness of his own that comes from the law. You cannot earn favor from God. Let me say that again. You cannot earn favor from God. Not even by following his rules. That's pretty amazing. I need to be reminded that every day. And so do you. Paul says that he wants to know Christ. And that's what's going to make him full of joy is because he knows Jesus. He's going to be able to sit in a prison and write a letter and says, my heart is full, even though my circumstances stink right now. Now, flip back to verse 2. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about people who were religious because they were trying to get everybody to be circumcised and to become Jewish and to follow this code of structure. Paul has a warning about joy killers. People are going to come and try to kill your joy. Paul's biggest fear for the Philippians is not that they would fall into sin. He, he worried about that. But his biggest fear... That, he, that they would turn religious on him. That they would start to try to earn points again, do all the good things. And in so doing that, that they would look to God and say, God, uh, you owe me here because I did all this stuff for you. We got a relationship because of all this stuff that I do. And God says, we got a relationship only because I saved your neck. Run away from that. Paul is more worried about that than anything else. Watch out for that. Run from that. Religion is dangerous. Any system that tries to systematize your relationship with Jesus, run from that. 
This morning I want to close by asking you some questions. And I'd like you to think about these, especially as we prepare for a time of communion and worship. Do you rejoice in Jesus Christ? Do you work hard at employing songs? You don't have to be a good singer. I don't care if you are or not. Do, do you work hard at employing, making a paycheck to your heart and saying, go after God? Do you do that? Another question I want to ask you is, are you, are you on the in with God because you think you're, you're okay because you're religion? Are you okay with God simply because you're clinging on to the cross? Which is it? My encouragement for you this morning is no matter where you're at in your journey, whether you're here this morning and you're, you know, your friend drug you here or your spouse drug you here, or perhaps you've been a follower all of your life. You cannot remember a day when you haven't been a follower of Jesus. My encouragement for you is to do just like that hymn says. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Take time, even right now as I pray, take time to tell your heart, to employ it, to follow after Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, would you teach us how to be dutiful, joyful people in you? In other words, we would go hard after you only because we don't want to be robbed of our joy. God, for the people in this room, and I know there's a variety of circumstances they're going through, even this Christmas season, and some of them are going to be going back to family situations here in a in a, in a week or two, and, and they're going to be tough. And I'm just reminded of Isaac Watts in the midst of all that, yet he writes a song like Joy to the World. And he's just trusting in you alone. God, would you grant us the freedom to not trust in anything else? Not trying to get a righteousness of our own because we get so many points for walking little old ladies across the street or being good at whatever we do. Good stuff, Lord. I pray that we would be involved in those kind of things. But Lord, never to gain points because all the points were won at the cross. So Jesus, would you just come this morning and teach us what it is that, that we should learn. Teach us what it is we should turn from. Things that are trying to rob us of our joy. Lord, would you do that for us? Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.